Welcome to your Active Tech Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at Open Run and on its implications for security in the telecom sector. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website Euractive.com. This is Euractive's Tech Brief Podcast. Today's edition is powered by Mozilla. Mozilla's Internet Health Report dives into the use of artificial intelligence in surveillance, labor, healthcare, geospatial data, and disinformation in social media. Also, it's a podcast. Hear from the people shaping a more equitable AI future. Go to 2022.internethealthreport.org. Today, I'm joined by John Baker, Senior Vice President for Business Development at Mavenir, and Ozuk Lee Makiyama, Director of the European Center for International Political Economy. Hello, both. Good afternoon. Hello, Luca. So uh, let's start with you, Ozuk. Um, we are seeing increasing geopolitical tensions uh, with Russia and China, uh, which have highlighted the uh, risk of cybersecurity threats and industrial espionage. Uh, for the telecom sector, a hot issue has been in terms of physical equipment related to telecom towers. Uh, can you give us an overview on this hot topic? Sure. And first of all, thank you so much for having us too. Uh, I really look forward to the discussion and, uh, and it's a very timely one, I think. And, uh, but the conversation, I think, around the, the critical infrastructure of uh, mobile networks has been going on for quite some time and it is quite warranted. And it's actually also something that has been highlighted by the deployment of 5G in specific because of the, the inherent way that the 5G network actually works but before we even look at the technical architecture one of the reasons the, why this uh, conversation is taking place is because the sheer scale of the deployment uh, we have almost 26 billion devices or more going online everything from vehicles to uh, household appliances and also personal devices which will of course carry uh, a lot more information and uh, it's not just about the amount of data but also the strategic and the commercial value of the data and its application that goes through the mobile networks is unprecedented and it goes without saying that if you have a 5g network which is going to be the critical infrastructure that underpins perhaps all other types of critical infrastructures and the societal functions, it's going to be extremely important to make sure that these networks are secure and not just from uh, disruption, but also from uh, against the cyber theft and other kind of illicit activities. And uh, we have already actually seen how these measures are on the rise. And we have already dozens of advanced persistent threat groups, APT groups, as we call them, that are specifically targeting Europe. And more often than not, uh, it is actually about commercial information and it's actually about cyber espionage with clearly uh, commercial interests from emerging markets uh, very often. 
and uh, which basically shows that this is a real societal problem. And, um, and compare, if you compare the 5G networks versus the 4G, uh, one of the reasons why this debate has been uh, highlighted, is, I think, is because of the inherent architecture of the 5G, which is more decentralized. A lot of the processing that takes place under the core functionality that used to take place in the core networks, which is in the central part and often better protected and uh, provided by better vetted suppliers, has been now moved out to the RAN, the radio access network, uh, which is also the uh, significant part of the cost of deploying a network. And if you have those network functions performed at the edge, then you will also see that it is very it's important to make sure that the vendors of the RAN is uh, they are trusted. And I think the fundamental problem that I hope that John will agree with me is that trust is one of those factors cannot be tested through technical measures. You can't certify, you can't diversify or standardize away a strategic risk. And this is also something that the EU governments have jointly stated together in the 5G toolbox. Uh, there is just simply not possible to scrutinize millions of lines of code of code involved in deploying a radio access network, and which also shows that authorization schemes, etc., is not simply not working because even if you actually scrutinize the lines of code that is involved, it's always possible to deploy patches and updates that will basically make them uh, the initial test useless. So the only choice we actually have is actually to trust the vendors that we are working with that they are not actually under influence of, uh, uh, well, either state actors or non-state actors who are adversary to a common interest uh, and uh, the uh, society as a whole. And I think that perhaps very, very briefly, although it was a very long answer, uh, basically captures up uh, why we are seeing these tensions around the radio access network today, which we didn't do 10 years ago. Um, several elements uh, from what also just said, but uh, John, it, it seems quite uh, um, obvious that the more uh, digitalized the economy, the more uh, in uh, will be the surface for attacks, uh, for cybercrime and and uh, industrial espionage, and the telecom sector is sort of at the forefront of that. Uh, at Mavenir, you've been working on a white paper on, on how to make uh, the telecom sector more uh, secured and resilient in the future. Uh, what is the argument that you're making? You know, as you say, we, we've just published a, a new white paper about the security of networks. And this is really sort of focused around the, the total security of, of wireless networks, which includes the supply chain. Um, you know, as was previously mentioned, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about surface threats and, you know, the architecture of the network. Well, I think it's, you know, it's fair to say that, first off, security is a day-to-day -day issue. It's not um, uh, an issue that's specifically around a specific architecture or a specific solution. I think all suppliers are moving to some form of virtualized platform, whether it be to open interfaces or whether it be to closed interfaces. Um, you know, the, the real 
you know, issue at hand and, and has been really sort of demonstrated by uh, the, you know, what we call the rip and replace in the United States where, uh, you know, operators are having to remove untrusted suppliers is that, you know, the only way to uh, replace a, an element in a network is actually to completely rip out the network and start again, which, um, you know, for these critical networks is, is not an ideal solution uh, for, for managing security and, uh, you know, deficiencies in supply chain, et cetera, as we go forward. So, um, you know, the essence of the paper is about the fact that, you know, security, you know, really needs to be built on a zero trust basis. It, it needs to start from the very beginning of the design and, and carry through to the actual implementation in the network and, you know, with the ability to ensure that no single vendor can lock um, a country or an operator to a single choice of, uh, you know, vendor's product. And, and essentially that's what we're seeing now, that the majority of the networks that are deployed on a global basis are actually insecure from a supply chain perspective. Uh, the consolidation of the operators, sorry, the consolidation of the uh, vendors in the supply chain over the last few years has really taken it down to two trusted vendors uh, for supplying proprietary uh, solutions and even those two vendors don't even interoperate. So, so you end up with a situation that an operator has a single point of failure because they can't mix and match equipment. And, and really, you know, back to the previous comment about, you know, patches and uh, software upgrades, you know, those networks are even open to, um, you know, solutions that have bugs and, and patches coming in from different directions and architectures that you know, you really can't see where the design is coming from or what the surface threats are or, uh, you, know, you know, it's a black box from an operator perspective and a country perspective. So, um, you know, it's it's really making sure that, you know, we overcome these single point of failures, that the, the vendor ecosystem is competitive and, uh, you know, industry is allowed to innovate as well and get the best for the country and the operator. And, and not being locked down by you know a single single point of failure or a single choice um, from a supplier perspective. So so that's really the essence of it. Um, you know, as I say, security is a, a day-to-day issue, and it's and it's built on zero trust principles. And just to make um, things a bit more explicit, what John is uh, referring to as uh, the uh, telecom providers are Ericsson and Nokia. And this nicely links up to the discussion about Open Run, uh, which has been quite vivid in the past years. I would say that it, it has... I would say that it has picked up ever since the sanctions uh, against Huawei, because of course, when you uh, exclude a vendor uh, from the market, then uh, there might be some issues related to uh, supply. Um, so also uh, giving you a chance to react to what uh, John uh, just said. Um, we are seeing arguments from telecom providers like Mavenir that uh, opening up uh, the architecture via open running also increases security. What do you make of this argument? Well, first of all, I will start by saying that open run is perhaps one of the most interesting concepts that we have seen 
on the market, uh, perhaps maybe in in the last decade, uh, by combining AI virtualization and using software and uh, well commercial um, on the shelf products to produce a uh, RAN solution is really, really interesting. But I think we need to be very careful here about the question about vendor diversity. And the, the fact is that, yes, we do need more choice on the market. That is absolutely clear. Uh, we consistently talk about two vendors uh, outside of China, Ericsson and Nokia, but for some reason, one of the largest vendors on the market, uh, Samsung, for example, and there are also a couple of Japanese, uh, Fujitsu, and, and, and there are also other local players uh, are constantly left out. I, I'm not really sure why. I think we can be honest about what the issue is here in Europe. Uh, yes, we do have, I mean, there are studies by telecom consultants that said they are actually up to 17 vendors on the market. But the thing is, you re I mean, first of all, you don't have more vendors than you have actually buyers. That's a, it's, it's just a shape of the market. If you have a relatively standardized product that is governed by global standards, uh, it is inevitable that you will have uh, suppliers that will try to accumulate scale. That's the first. But also, when it comes to the vendor diversity question, I'm not really sure you can say diversity equals increased supply chain security. It's, it's just the fact that, uh, well, vendor diversity is not necessarily a function for security. Uh, we can say, for example, um, for a number of reasons, we are talking about geopolitical risk before, but also the fact that We've seen open source software, uh, which is a perfect example of uh, insecure interfaces and the vulnerabilities that have been introduced to the system. It, open source can be secured. Uh, it must be secured, but you can't really put a, an equal sentence by saying that, yes, just because it's open and it's because we have more diversity does not necessarily entail that we have a better supply chain security. It's just, a, it's just not how security works. And if that was really the case, you could argue that uh, a PC running a Windows software uh, with a, a bunch of peripherals coming from different uh, uh, vendors would automatically be more secure than an integrated supplier than, for example, like an Apple. That's really not how the technology works. Uh, I really think we are hitting at the core of this debate. Um, so Ozuk made some uh, interesting remarks here. Uh, openness doesn't mean necessarily more security. How, how do you react to that, John? Yeah, I, I, I sort of have to disagree, you know, right out front. And, and you know, having been part of this uh, evolution of, you know, mobile telecommunications right from day one, from 2G right the way now through to 5G and even getting into discussions of 6G, um, you know, the whole principle of the um, GSM concept, if you like, the 3GPP was about openness and interoperability of interfaces. And to that extent, you know, this actually happened in the core and the core network that we have today, minus the RAN, is actually working to open interfaces, multiple vendors, um, is built with exactly the same technology and solutions as is being deployed for open RAN. 
yet you, you know the the core ecosystem thrives by competition and innovation with a whole group of vendors that, that essentially you know place a bet and and compete and uh, operators can make a choice yet you know as soon as we take that technology and the same principles to the ran everybody you know throws their arms up in terms of market protection and you know all these different challenges that that are perceived to be out there now clearly you know openness does actually give a layer of security because you can actually take a specification you can actually see what's going on in a product and as i said earlier you know what happened in the us that the fact that you couldn't replace a radio from one manufacturer to another manufacturer um you know without ripping out the whole network and you know it's the analogy of a light bulb you know if i had to replace the wiring in my house every time i changed to a different vendor of light bulb you know this would be a crazy world so um you know that's the sort of craziness that we've got in the the mobile telecommunications industry now that you know we've allowed critical telecom infrastructure to be controlled by a single vendor because you know even even the two trusted vendors that we're talking about don't interoperate today so you know where you have a Nokia network and where you have an Ericsson network they they are isolated islands um even though the interfaces within you know the 3GPP specification architecture were defined um you know they don't use them to allow operators to even interoperate between you know the two trusted vendors so you know and 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 coming back on to you know Fujitsu Samsung you know those guys uh, are greatly part of the open ran ecosystem that are coming along with open ran product and and certainly Samsung yes has been in the marketplace as long as you know Mavenir and you know we we've we've we're working you know hand in hand in the sense of bringing the open ran ecosystem to market and 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 the great thing about open ran it has brought you know the likes of fujitsu nec um the mavenirs uh, you know autio stars etc to the marketplace and 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 allowed opportunity for com- competition out there and i think um you know this comes back to you know how did this whole security discussion start in the first place and it was really seen as about market protection um because you know as i say that the the solutions in terms of you know virtualization open compute hardware have been used in the core for you know multiple years and you, you know we we as mavenir have some of the largest virtualized deployments in the world carrying you know the centralized 4g networks for for multiple carriers so you know as as a technology you know there's no argument as a uh softwareization open source again no argument it really is you know establishing the principles of building secure products and secure networks um going forward and you know to add to that i think as i said earlier really it's about you know how, you know how do operators you know why are operators allowed to build business cases um with single points of failure and i think you know no no business you know really you know should be built that way and i think you know certainly we all build our businesses on understanding risk and managing risk and 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 that's what open interfaces and open architectures and you know zero trust security really bring to this equation and you know allow economies to really develop their own future um in telecommunications as well and and i think that's that's what the world needs today is sort of 
more, you know, more opportunity for people to play in telecommunications, more innovation and, and trusted security as, as, as that all comes into place. Uh, I guess that also summarizes sort of the uh, American and, and European views, uh, difference of views on open run. Um, but also, I, I wanted to follow up with you because, uh, I mean, uh, obviously, openness uh, for its own sake uh, doesn't bring more security, but there should be also, uh, as John was mentioning, uh, uh, another way than a, a single point of failure. Uh, Another reason why um, uh, many uh, people in the sector say that uh, uh, open run is sort of inevitable is because they they point to the fact that legacy operators like uh, Nokia, Ericsson, or maybe other um, Asian operators that you were mentioning, uh, will they be able on their own to supply um, 5G uh, the the equipment necessary for the full 5G rollout, which has still not really picked up the pace worldwide? I would um, contradict you slightly because, I mean, most of the contracts already signed. So the deployment plans already there. Uh, 3GPP releases for standalone uh, 5G uh, rollout has already been specified. And so, yes, the products are there. And in a sense, I think the uh, ORAN uh, product, uh, I distinguish between OpenRAN and ORAN, and OpenRAN being the technology or the concept, if you like, and ORAN being the consortium that is developing its own specification, its own product, uh, and its own open source software. Uh, one of the problems, I think, perhaps, is that the uh, the ORAN products are actually not ready on time. and. I, I really wish and I really believe that it is going to be the future. And I really think that ORAN Consortium is going to be one of the really interesting players to look forward to. But unfortunately, they didn't sync up properly with the, um, the, uh, the, um, the timing of the deployment of the networks around the world. And uh, hopefully uh, in some perhaps some parts of the developing world as, as well as the developing, you will see some uh, all-round networks coming out. And uh, But one of the key problems here, I think, and we, uh, we have to come back to this question again from the last question, which is that we can't really conflate uh, open interfaces as secure interfaces. We can't basically uh, put uh, open as the same as increase supply chain security. and. Over and over and again, I mean, you refer to U.S. agency, John, and NSA has explicitly stated uh, themselves uh, that uh, the traditional RAN is inherently single vendor, yes, but open RAN architecture will introduce more complexity due to the number of vendors and disaggregation of the traditional network functions. And we see that also in uh, uh, critical vulnerabilities that we have seen in open source software. I'm not saying that open is less secure. I'm just saying that you cannot assume that because something is open, it is going to be secure. And that's a very, very important point. Let me, let me jump in here and clear up a few misconceptions because um, you know one is the ORAN Alliance is about producing specifications. It's not about producing products. Um, open, open RAN is, yes, definitely about vendor diversity and interoperability, 
um, you, you know, essentially are based around the ORAN Alliance specifications. Now, you know, back to the initial comment, uh, you know, 5G, you know, 5G non-standalone certainly has moved ahead. And, and uh, but, you know, in terms of 5G standalone networks, which are essentially cannot be vendor locked, I think there's probably about six six plus of those in the world. You know, 5G standalone networks are really lagging behind, um, you know, 5G non-standalone. And, um, and so, you know, the, the 5G market is really, you know, very much in transition and, and moving forward. Um, you know, ORAN Alliance is not about building open software and, and open solutions. And I think, um, you know, then to, to follow on about the security issues, you know, with the solutions we have today, who knows what's going on? Who knows who's tapping what in what network? Because there are no specifications for the RAN interface that are public, so nobody can really see what's going on. And I think that's part of the debate. You know, everybody sort of focuses on the future, but nobody really focuses on what we have today. And, you know, the essence of all of what we're talking about is all within the same 3HPP specification. All that happened with OpenRAN is really the front hall interface, which was kept proprietary in 3HPP, was made as an open interface with a different, you know, effectively a fully defined way of doing it, um, which, you know, the two vendors we talk about actually participated in. So, you know, so all we did is clean up a piece of the specification. It's still, everything still works together as 3GPP defined it. And, you know, by doing that, you open up the boxes to become separable and they can be tested from a security perspective and, and they can be interchanged. Um, now, the comments about availability of 3GPP uh, open RAN products, again, product is now in the marketplace. Yes, certainly it takes more than, you know, it takes nine months to have the baby, as they say, because, um, you know, product has to be designed, developed, put into production, but networks are being deployed, you know, open RAN networks are being deployed in scale, you know, as we speak. And, um, you know, this really comes down now to operators making the choices as they transition and, you know, the market really behaving on open market principles and not being manipulated and not being, you know, removing some of these vendor locks. So I think, you know, the future is open. I think the future of open openness and softwareization is happening, you know, even if it's got proprietary interfaces. So, um, you know, proprietary interfaces or open interfaces, security is still going to be the number one issue for all vendors um, and, you know, needs to be designed and products need to be designed and tested on basic principles. So, um, you know, Open RAN is not about picking winners and losers. It's about, you know, just leveling the playing field uh, for everybody to compete in a global marketplace and, you know, creating job opportunities, whether it be, you know, for European companies, you know, Asian companies or, or American companies. You know, again, it's not, not about winners and losers. It's about um, creating a competitive marketplace that, uh, we know that there's no single point of failure and, and, and uh, you know, networks can be trusted and suppliers can be trusted. Uh, also, just uh, being conscious, uh, you were uh, finishing a point uh, before I asked the last question very quickly. I, I think the fact that openness is not necessarily more secure is a point that has been repeated well enough, not just by me and uh, uh, other thinkers uh, and the telecom specialists, but also from the security agencies and US security agencies. And I think there is no, no avoiding around that. 
And exactly as John was saying, I mean, 3GPP is the only end-to-end standard. And you're absolutely right. Uh, ORAN is not a standard. It's a specification. I call it product development because it is in the end, you are developing code together with, uh, well, Chinese high-risk vendors. And they have access to the open source just as anyone else participating in the in the work. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that this is a uh, vulnerability in itself, but obviously it does not necessarily make the solution more secure than, let's say, a proprietary solution. Or security is simply not a function of these variables that we are discussing here today. And also, I just I'm a little bit cautious about when you're talking about protectionism and when you're also talking about the stickiness and lock-ins. I mean, it was really I mean, it, these market mechanisms do exist to some degree. But if you are really right, John, then we would we wouldn't have Huawei and ZTE on the market because it would be impossible for them to break into the market. And knowing how the IPR structures and the cross licensing work in this field. I mean, it is probably one of the easiest markets to enter uh, because you actually you don't actually have to pay any upfront cost in terms of, for example, licensing until you actually have made a sale. But the part I think is that the operators are really not interested in having more vendors than what they are on the market. There are no protectionist measures against ORAN in Europe at all, because in Europe it's actually the operator's choice. And they have, they are, they can actually, I mean, we have the European regulations are completely technology neutral. Our subsidies are technology neutral. The problem is that I think one of the biggest issues and what is something that really concerns the European side is that what we see in the United States and elsewhere is actually called for non-technology neutral subsidies being paid to or on consortium uh, in order to support their activities. Whereas we don't actually take sides in any technology. And that's basically how fundamental how Europe works. Everything is open. We don't favor anyone. And it's actually the operator's choice. And that's the mechanism. And that's the, uh, the way that the markets have always operated in Europe. And to and as, as much as it is, um, it will be admirable and it will be perhaps even, even desirable to have more players on the market. Uh, there are just the strict limits on what we can do. And also we have to remember that it could very, uh, very well end being counterproductive against the European and the US interest. Because China has actually done similar things against us once upon a time and tried to displace our market interest and by using, well, uh, opaque standardization uh, closed-door uh, specifications developed, and also directed subsidies towards technologies and uh, standard protocols that they are favoring for their own national uh, interest and also for commercial interest, try to displace European and US vendors. So we have to be really, really careful here about what we are asked for. Yeah, I think I think just following on from that, I, I you know there were a lot of inaccuracies in, in stuff you just said, and I you know it'll take another hour to sort of debate some of that. But but you know essentially there is no bias from the U.S. marketplace, and you know to that extent, you know the two vendors that we talk about have you know have pretty much the majority of the U.S. marketplace. So 
Um, clearly, there is no bias in, in any of that. And I also want to make it very clear that standardization, whether it be ORN Alliance or um, you know, 3GPP, has Chinese vendors in it, uh, irrespective. So again, there's no differentiation of Chinese companies in any of these uh, I think you know very well, John, because I mean, this is one of the imp most important points. 3GPP doesn't actually develop any products or lines of code together. Whereas, and neither, the, or neither, or neither does the ORN Alliance. Um, so so you're, you're saying that there are no technical commitments, there's actually no technical specifications developed within ORN Alliance? Is that what you're saying? There are technical specifications in the same way that. Uh, Nokia and Ericsson and Huawei and ZTE form the SIPRI coordination and, and have a combined specification for um, for the radio interface. So, you know, everything is just, there's no, there's no, nothing new in terms of what's going on in the ORN Alliance versus what's going on in 3GPP. So, um, you know, this is- I'm not sure that's going to be a very accurate description. Uh, well, I think, I think you should take a look at the SIPRI, uh, SIPRI coordination group, which is a, a, a proprietary coordination between Huawei, Nokia and Ericsson, um, which has basically kept the whole market locked down. And I think if you start there, then you'll understand uh, the reasons why the ORN Alliance was formed by the mobile operators and the specifications are open and there is no absolutely no software code coming out from the ORAN Alliance. Um, there are specifications that are developed in the same way that Huawei leads some of the groups within 3GPP. And, and from a Mariner perspective, you know, we fully support uh, you know, all companies being available to participate in the standardization process. And through the standardization process, the insecurities, if you like, or you know, any hidden object, objection, et cetera, will get taken out. So. Um, you know, again, I say it's not about picking and winning winners and losers. It's about uh, leveling the marketplace. So, you know, certainly I'm ha very happy to debate with you at any other time. Y you know, some of the, the misconceptions that you're clearly purveying on this call. So we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. Also, Klee Makiyama is director of the European Center for International Political Economy. John Baker is senior vice president for business development at Mavenir. Thank you both. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Chiori. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. <laughs>